choir, everybody for leading us. AV team, we see you up there. We don't forget about you. This wasn't the plan, okay? Uh, wasn't going to do this sermon series. The plan was we would finish the book of Luke, not last week, but like three weeks ago. And then I was going to do a sermon series uh, on what it, does it mean to be an evangelical, because we get called that all the time. You hear people talking about evangelicals. Evangelicals are going to change this election. You're like, is that me? Am I one of those people? Am I an evangelical? I know I used to be. Am I still? What does it mean now, right? So I thought it would be good for us to kind of sort that out. But uh, a few weeks ago on a Friday, my back right, I think it's called a molar, and Dr. Pete Showalter, if he's here, could probably confirm, but, uh, but man, I, that thing just blew up on me, and it was the worst pain I have felt in my entire life. If what I felt is anything close to what you ladies felt giving birth to children, God bless you and praise the Lord for you, man. I'm telling you what, that pain was crazy, and I contacted Pastor David that night. I was like, you're gonna have to preach on Sunday. I was like, this isn't gonna happen. So that pushed Luke back, and me and Pastor Ben and Pastor David just felt like God's doing something here and, and he, he's changing our direction. Just like we'll see the Spirit moving the apostles and changing their direction when we get into the book of Acts, uh, Lord willing, in the coming months. But just decided in the end, January was a tough month for our church body. February hasn't really let up. On one hand, we're celebrating. We got out of debt. We're so joyful. We're so thankful. We're excited. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people going through a lot in our church. We've had people, of course, you know, COVID is it's still with us, still, still hanging out, the miserable party guests in the corner that everybody wishes would leave. And so many of us uh, in the congregation, you, you, you have stared COVID down, either yourself or somebody you really loved has gotten it. You can barely go out of the state on vacation these days without somebody coming home with COVID in your house, right? It's hard. But then it gets a lot worse. You start thinking about people that are in and out of the hospital, have had that. We have people who have been staring cancer down for months and years. Some people just started uh, staring it down in the last couple weeks. The medical challenges are compounded by the fact that eggs are like, you know, what's it cost to get an egg these days, right? I mean, like $9 a carton or something crazy. Um, people got financial hardship. People got job hardships. It reminds me of a song by one of my favorite Christian bands, one of my favorite bands when I was coming up through high school, especially Cademan's Call. They get a song called Trouble. They say, you say I've got trouble. I've got trouble all over me. I've got trouble since the day I was born. And it's not just a struggle. It's the blood running through my veins. It's all the clothes I've ever worn. It's what it means to live in this world. There's a lot of joy in this world. There's a lot to celebrate. There is a lot of laughter. There's a lot of um, rejoicing, right? But we know that as we rejoice and as we laugh and as we celebrate and as we enjoy fellowship and all the good things God has given us in this world, we're always aware that we're a phone call away from immense suffering. A doctor's visit away from immense suffering. A new day away from immense suffering. Sometimes you just wake up and your body's different. So after talking with Pastor Ben and Pastor David, we said, let's go to the Word and let's see how God comforts us. And let's in particular look at how 
the Trinitarian nature of God is a comfort to us. Like, what does the Father do to comfort us? And what does the Son do to comfort us? And what does the Spirit do to comfort us? How does the Godhead work together to console His people when they are hurting? And that's what we're going to do. Today, we look to 2 Corinthians for the Father's comfort. Next week, we will see the example of the Son. And then in three weeks, the intercession of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians is where we'll be a little bit of history. Paul uh, planted the church at Corinth during an 18-month visit on his second big missionary journey. Acts 18 tells us about it. It says in verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. The Jewish people in the city, though, they totally reject Paul. It says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So, probably went to the synagogue in the city. He's preaching there. It says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. It's exactly what Jesus said to do, right? Shake off the dust of uh, your sandals, move on. And so he does that in a sign of judgment over them. He's like, okay. You, you are making a very bad choice and you are at odds with God by rejecting his Messiah. But now he goes to the Gentiles in the city. Like right away he goes to the Gentiles in the city. He goes right next door. It says, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, which would mean the guy, he's a God-fearer. He, he knows God exists. He's even become maybe a monotheist at this point, but he doesn't know his name and he certainly doesn't know who his son is. His house was next door to the synagogue. And so Paul just goes right to him and starts telling him about Jesus. I would love to tell you that Paul then started the church. It grew steadily. They invited him to a conference where he talked about how well things went at Corinth. He wrote a book about it, and then he went on to plant the next church, and everybody in Corinth went to heaven. Everything was fine. Move on. Nothing to see here. But that's not the reality. The reality is is that this church that Paul planted caused him a lot of pain as a pastor. As you read through 2 Corinthians, you find out where there was this time Paul could not even go. Like, he couldn't even go to Corinth because it just would have hurt too much he's like they'll rip me apart if I go there I can't go there there were false teachers in Corinth that were attempting to discredit Paul they were super apostles who said well we're more gifted in how we speak than Paul so we must be more apostolic than him or they would actually point to Paul's suffering and say he suffers too much to be an apostle we don't suffer as much so we are the legitimate true verified apostles And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians who have been seduced by this ministry and he is, uh, these false teachers, he is defending his own teaching, his own ministry, he's using his suffering, the thing that they say, you can't be an apostle if you suffer this much. He goes, no, actually, that's the proof that I am an apostle, that I suffer like my Lord. And so that gives you an idea of where Paul is at as he is writing And the good news is is that you find out toward the end of the letter that Titus has come to Paul with a report that the Corinthians have actually repented of their attitude toward him. And that is a relief. But as Paul writes, he writes from the heart as a man who has endured much suffering. He writes from the heart as a shepherd who's bleeding. Because some of the sheep in the congregation didn't just bite at him, some of the rams took their horns and pierced his skin. And Paul writes as an apostle who, like his Savior, is well acquainted with sorrows and pain. 
And since he knows suffering, we can trust that he writes with a personal knowledge of God's comfort in it. So we turn to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. As we think about this passage this morning, I want us to start by focusing on this phrase, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that there? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul use this term? He has just announced at the beginning of the letter in the first two verses, grace and peace in his standard greeting, he has identified that it is the Father and it is the Son who are the source of that grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace comes to us from the Father and the Son. But why take those titles for the Father and the Son and bring them together again in this way in verse 3? Nothing in God's Word is on accident. This is very purposeful that he has done this. What's the purpose? Well, to understand it, I think you've got to look at the words that come after it. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God uh, is, is, is getting praise from Paul here in verse 3. And as Paul is giving this praise to God, he is making a statement about the character of God and the nature of God to us. That God is a Father of mercies. That is His character. And that He is the God of all comfort. This is His nature. And understanding God in this way is is crucial for how we understand His disposition towards us when we are hurting and we are suffering. And so it is crucial that Paul establishes why We can trust that our suffering is not wasted, but it has purpose. Why we can trust God even when we are afflicted. Paul is essentially establishing in this phrase, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, why we can trust in the character of God. Why we can count God to be trustworthy and praiseworthy. He doesn't simply say, blessed be the Father of the Son. He says, Blessed be the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And I think that Paul is very purposeful, very intentional here to use that title, Lord, for Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week. I feel like it's come up in our Revelation study on Wednesdays as well. But how did Jesus get the title of Lord? Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name bestowed on the Son there in that Philippians 2 text It's not Jesus, he already has that name, it is Lord. He is crucified, he is resurrected, he ascends to sit down at the right hand of the Father showing that he has completed the mission of his first coming, his first advent, and his lordship is proof of his completed mission. 
So then, in Paul's phrase in verse 3, we're seeing that the Father has the sort of heart where He will give the mission-completing Son to us as our Savior. Because if the Father doesn't give the Son, the Son can't complete the mission. If the Son doesn't complete the mission, the title of Lord that we see in Philippians 2, 9-11 is not bestowed upon Him. But He is Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ because the Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that anyone who believes in Him would never perish. And the Son completed the task for the glory of the Father. And we know that because He is called the Lord Jesus Christ. So then you go to the second half of the verse, and the same terms of Father and God are repeated, calling our attention back to that first phrase, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to know the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, that's the same God and Father who has given us the mission-completing Son. So when you're hurting, when you're suffering, when you need comfort, you can trust He will give it because He has already given His Son who completed the saving mission, set before Him, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father and sat down as the Lord of all. So number one this morning... A truth that you can hold on to, it can be an anchor, you can bank on it, no matter what's going on, no matter how bad and dire things are this morning. Number one, we know the Father is merciful and comforting because He gave His Son. You say, Pastor, that's a simple truth. I mean, that's Sunday school, third grade, kindergarten, nursery. Yeah, it is. And you need it, and I need it. We need to remember the Father is merciful and comforting and you know that because He gave us Jesus. See, God's got a quintillion causes and effects that He is governing every millisecond. Think about that. I can't begin to comprehend how he does all this in his perfect wisdom and power. And it's not even hard for him. Like He's not stressed. He does not panic. The nations are dust on his scales. Like China lets a couple of balloons go over our, our country and, and countries around us. And everybody's like, oh, we, got, we got Chinese balloons in the sky. And God's like, yeah, Chinese balloons flying over the dust. Because that's what America is to him, and that's what China is, and that's what Brazil is, and all these nations are dust on his scales. He stands outside of time. You walk up to the Atlantic Ocean, and it, it, it drops your heart into your feet, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so small, and it's so big, and look at the majesty of it. And he looks at that, and he goes, it's just a little drop of water in a bucket. He can roll up the sky the way you, you fold up or, or a map or roll up a college degree. I don't understand a thousand things I see every month. I don't understand why God has protected me from certain things and there's other things that he said, no, he's going to endure that. I don't know why he allows everything that he allows, why he permits everything that he permits. There are times that some of you come in my office and you say, I got this going on in my life. I got this diagnosis. And you walk out, and I turn to him and I go, why them and why now? I don't understand this. But what I do understand is that I can trust him. I know as a pastor, I can sit in my office, and I can look at you in your eye, and I can tell you, I don't know why this is coming to your life right now. I don't know why this is happening right now, but I know that you can trust God. 
and that he wants to glorify himself through this. And I know he has proven his character to you in the most dramatical ways that he loves you enough to give you the treasure of Jesus to die and resurrect. He has given you his only son to be mocked and to be murdered. That he would rise again and be your Lord. I remember watching Tim Keller speak to students at Columbia University in 2011. He was debating a well-known atheist named David Eisenbach in front of a bunch of college students. And Eisenbach looked at him and said, how can you believe in a God who would allow the Holocaust? And Keller responded and said, as a pastor, I understand your question. I have sat across from people who have had their two-year-old child run over by a car. They have the same question. And Keller goes on to say that when we look at God giving us His Son in the Gospel, we don't know why He allows everything. But we know it cannot be indifference. It cannot be a hardness of heart towards human beings. We know God is not indifferent towards humanity. We know He's not hard-hearted towards humanity because He gave His Son to die for image bearers. And so from eternal life, right, to the daily strength, that we get, the death of Christ does so much for us, but one of the things it does is it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is indeed loving. The cross proves He's loving. So I don't understand everything that He allows or doesn't allow, and I don't have to because it's not my job to. He is God alone. These are not things for me. They are higher than me. But I know Whatever he permits or doesn't permit, whatever he allows or doesn't allow, whatever he causes or doesn't cause, it's not because he's unloving. He is loving. And his character is trustworthy. Paul calls him the father of mercies. When we think of God being the father of all mercies, I think a very specific passage in, in Lamentations 3 is to come to mind. I know our young people, Pastor David's about to walk them through Lamentations. Here's a little preview for you all. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in the mornings when your health is failing, God already knew because He stands outside of time that your health would be failing and He's got mercies stored up for exactly what you are going through, tailored to your life. I don't get Ben's mercies. He's not like, well... Ran out of time today. I guess I'll just take some of Ben's mercies and give them over here to Pastor Michael. No. Every day there's mercies for Karen, there's mercies for Holly, there's mercies for Ben and Reggie, and there's mercies for Chuck and and David, even though he's got his Eagles jersey on, right? There's mercies for everybody. Tailored to his children each day. When your mental strength is weak and gloom and despair and worry or caving your head in. He's like, I got mercies for that. They're right here. It's stored up for you. And when persecution knocks at the door, he's got mercy for that. And when your bank account is low, he's got mercies for that. And when your job is in jeopardy, he's got mercies for that. Our merciful God is there with mercy sufficient for the calling of the day. You got a day where you need to do the hard work of repentance? And you need to get it all out before God and confess it. And you need to get, you know, strip the pews, right? Get down to the nuts and bolts and just say, God, we're starting over. He's got mercies for that, for that day. And the giving of the Lord Jesus proves we can put hope in the fact that He is daily merciful to us. That He will come through every day on those mercies. 
He's also the God of all comfort. Paul uses the Greek word for comfort 11 times in his New Testament letters. Nine of them are in 2 Corinthians. This is the comfort letter. It carries, when we see comfort, the idea of both daily comfort and eternal comfort. So here's how it works. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. So Titus comes to Paul and says, hey, the Corinthians have repented. They're not coming against you anymore. And Paul rejoices and says, this was comfort to me. God poured out comfort on me through the report that Titus brought. So God gives you daily comfort. But then in 2 Thessalonians, Paul uses the same Greek word from 2 Corinthians 7 to talk about not a daily comfort, but a forever eternal comfort we get in Christ. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So in Christ, God our Father has not just given you daily comfort in His mercy, but eternal comfort in the peace of knowing you are right with God and you have access to Him forever. And you can trust not only in the daily mercy because He's proven His character, you can trust in His eternal promises to you, His daily and eternal comfort to you in Christ. Because He's given Christ. He has come He has died, He's done the work, He's rose again, He has ascended. The love of the Father is proven in the Lordship of the Son. Mercy and comfort from the Father are ours in Christ, so we can bank on it. Verse 4, we find that the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. The Greek word for this is thlipsis, it's a fun one to say. It translates to affliction more often than not, but it's just a very general word for hardship. Sometimes in your Bible it it comes out as tribulation, sometimes it's suffering, persecution, anguish, uh, trouble, but we just keep it general. I think that Paul keeps it general here on purpose. It's any sort of affliction that comes in your life. When he he uses this word affliction in verse 4, it's any affliction that comes into your life as a result of living in this fallen world. It's it's COVID, right? It's getting persecuted because of your faith in the workplace. It's mourning over the loss of a loved one. It's being rejected by a family member because you have shared Christ. Uh, It's a close friend being diagnosed with cancer, right? All these things bring affliction into our lives. Let's just stop right now. For 10 seconds, just 10 seconds, and just think about the affliction that's in your life right now. So you've thought about it. God steps into that. Whatever it is you've thought about, you spent 10 seconds thinking of three, four, five, six things, maybe one thing, whatever it is you've thought about. He steps into our affliction and he comforts us with the eternal comfort of knowing Christ. But there's also the daily and the weekly and the monthly comforts that he pours out on us because we are his children in Christ. So in the midst of what you're going through, you open your Bible and he says, I want to comfort you with the words of the scriptures. And in the midst of what you're going through, he wants to comfort you with the gift of his spirit who dwells in you and consoles you and reminds you of what is true 
and what is not. There's the comfort of intimacy in prayer with God, right? Where we can take all of our cares to the Lord because He cares for us. There's the comfort of the Christian friend who comes to you with the right words at the right time. There's the comfort of somebody who really understands what you've been through. Like, there's people who go, I'm so sorry, and you're like, I know you are, but you don't get it. But then God sends somebody who goes, I went through this, 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 and this, and you go, you get it. You get it. And they empathize, and that gives you, uh, that gives you comfort, right? That, that, that helps you through what you're going through. It's the comfort of a song from your past that reminds you of the gospel truth that you had forgotten, right? We could go on and on and on about all the ways the Lord comforts us in our affliction. The bottom line is that He does it. And He does it all for the purpose of making you more like His Son, Jesus. In Romans 5, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can rejoice in suffering knowing God is using the suffering to make us into people who will reflect the character of Christ in our living and in our hoping and in our believing. And then there's this passage in Romans 8 that we put on coffee mugs and t-shirts and pretty much anything. If you can like, you know, screen print it, cricket it onto something, we'll put it on something as Christians, right? We were putting scripture on mints in the late 90s. Like we weren't messing around. So Romans 8, 28, it's one of those verses that we'll put on a bumper sticker. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But do we ever stop to ask, what is the good? Because the good's not your happiness. If it was, you'd be in a lot of trouble. If God gave you everything that you think would make you happy, you would be miserable very, very quickly. Right? It's like your child going to Bush Gardens and they're like, I want that sucker and I want that donut and I want to do this and I want to do that. And it's like, if I let you eat all this sugar and everything you're asking for and then I put you on, you know, the Grover roller coaster, we got a scene on our hands, Right? We know that as parents, so we don't let that happen. There's a lot of times that we are that kid in Bush Gardens, and we're saying to God, I want to eat that, and I want to eat that, and I want to eat that, and then I want to get on that and spin around. And he's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I'm not going to let you do that, right? So he's working things together, not for your happiness, but for your good. And we find out what the good is in the rest of the verses. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The good that he is working all things together for is you being conformed to the image of his son. It's not your happiness, it's that you would look more like Jesus, and that's for your joy. And it doesn't end there. Not only does he comfort you to make you look more like Jesus, but then he says, all right, well now we get that going on, you're, you're looking more like my son, that's good, now you've got to pour this out on somebody else. Paul says this comfort is to be parlayed into the comfort of others. He's comforting us to make us comforters. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We are to take the same comfort we get from God and then not hoard it all up, but to take it and to share it with the people around us. To take the daily mercies that He is giving us. To take the eternal comfort He is giving us and to pass that along to those who are around us who are suffering and who are experiencing affliction. So number two this morning, we are comforted by God in order to comfort those who are around us. And to see exactly how this looks, look at verses 5 and 6. Paul says that as he and those who minister with him share in Christ's sufferings, through Christ they also share abundantly in comfort. The nature of discipleship is to follow your leader, your master. Our master is Jesus, so we walk in the pattern of Christ. You say, well, that's great because Jesus, you already said, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? He's Lord. He's in glory. That's good. Let's walk in the pattern of Christ. Let's get to glory. But you have to remember that before he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he got to glory, what happened? He had to go through the cross. He had to suffer. He had to die. It's suffering and then it's glory. And that's the pattern of the Christian life that Jesus laid down for us. And so when Paul talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings, he's saying that as he's preaching the message of the kingdom in the same manner as Jesus, he's suffering for that message in the same manner of Jesus. Which is how Jesus promised things would be. In Matthew 20, you have James and John's mom, and they're like, hey, she says, I I want my um, sons to sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom, Jesus. He says, can they drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And they say, oh yeah, we'll drink from that cup. He says, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. James and John drank from the cup. They suffered for the gospel as apostles and as preachers. And the Philadelphia theologian, appropriate for the day, Charles Hodge, said that this drinking of the cup That's the affliction of Christ that belongs to all believers. He says, not sufferings on account of Christ, but such sufferings as Christ suffered and that his people are called on to endure in virtue of their union with him and in order to be like him. We're not just suffering on account of him, but we are suffering with him. We are sharing in his sufferings. Philippians 3, Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's the same pattern. Paul knows if I'm going to press on after Christ, that'll land me in resurrected glory, but the road to glory is marked with suffering. Therefore, I must share in his suffering and become like him in his death. Peter sees it the same way. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Glory is going to be revealed, but first we share in His suffering. The good news that we've already recognized is that as we share in His suffering, we'll share in His comfort as well, right? Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's a reiteration of what we saw at the beginning of verse 4. Nothing new is being stated there. But in order to be able to comfort others, we have to ask ourselves, what is the nature of Christ's suffering? If we're, we're going to share in His suffering, and that's going to enable us to comfort others, we have to start with saying, what is the nature of the suffering of Christ? 
Well, we look to the cross again, and we know that the nature of his suffering is sacrifice. It's sacrificial. He is the offering for sin. He was the substitute. He died to save. Should not have been him. He was not a sinner, but he died a sinner's death. It should have been us. He sacrificed, right? Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to redeem souls. He came to rescue people from sin. He suffered because he knew that through my suffering, my people will be saved and they will know my Father. And Paul's point here is that his suffering and ministry is in the same vein. He shares in the sufferings of Christ, and much like the suffering of Christ, Paul's affliction is sacrificial. Which leads us to verse 6 where he says something new. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Meaning, if we're suffering like Christ, we suffer like Christ for the benefit of your comfort and salvation. Paul is more than okay with the afflictions. Because in the suffering, he's able to offer the comfort of the gospel and the promise of eternal salvation to the church at Corinth. It's a sacrifice, but it's worth it. And it's in the pattern of his Lord. In many ways, that is the entire book of 2 Corinthians. Like, that's the point of it. Paul's willing to suffer for the gospel. His enemies are like, hey, 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 he suffers too much. He's like, no, no, the suffering qualifies me, man. Because I'm sharing in the suffering of Christ. And not only did his suffering qualify him, but he rejoiced that his suffering put him in a position to be a faithful witness and a faithful pastor to these people that he loved. And so for the entire book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's really just circling that over and over in the letter. And then verse 6 ends with Paul rejoicing over the fact that if he receives comfort from the Lord, the Corinthians will share in that comfort just like they have shared in his sufferings. As they suffer for the name of Christ, as they suffer for the sake of being molded into his image, Believers are constantly receiving the ministry of God's comfort. And he means for us to pass that on to the people that are around us. We are pilgrims in this world. We are journeying toward our home, toward glory. We will be citizens there forever. Augustine said, he who does not sigh as a pilgrim will never rejoice as a citizen. If you're a citizen of heaven, you're a pilgrim here, right? If you're a citizen here, you can't be a citizen of heaven. Well, what this text does for us is provide an additional pilgrim's purpose for our suffering. For the Christian, the road to glory is paved with much sighing as we share in the sufferings of Christ. As we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, we follow Him, and along the way, He's molding our pilgrim hearts to be more like Christ as we represent Him in this world. We know those things, right? He's leading us to glory. He's making us more like Jesus. But the additional pilgrim's purpose for our suffering we see here is that as we're receiving this comfort from God, we are then taking that, we're passing it along to others. As we share in the sufferings of Christ, we share in his comfort and then we share that with those afflicted around us he comforts you to make you a comforter and in that way your suffering is truly in the pattern of Christ because you are sacrificially helping the people around you you're suffering so that you can be a a, a consolation and a comforter to everyone that's in your orbit right as you help them on their walk with the Lord When this happens in the body of Christ, it's one of the most beautiful things you will ever see on earth. Seriously. I've seen men with PTSD sit down at homeless shelters 
and help other men who had PTSD who thought that there would never ever be another person who would sit down and care about their feelings again. And I've seen those men sit down and take the comfort God has given them and then hand it over to those men at those shelters. That's the comfort of Christ being poured out on his sheep by the Father, and then the sheep are sharing it with the people around them. That is beautiful. Last year, I had a woman outside of our church call me and say, I just found out my husband is blowing up our marriage. I connected her to a woman in our church who had been through the same thing, and that woman in our church was able to help this woman through all of her thoughts and feelings. That is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4 in action. That is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort in action. Pouring out His comfort on His people and their affliction so that they can share it with those around them. Sharing in Christ's suffering and then sharing His comfort with everyone in the local church. If we keep in mind that God works this way, it will change how we look at suffering. It will change our attitude in it. It's tempting when we're suffering to take the advice of Job's wife when we're suffering to, to, to curse God and die, Right? That's what she said to him. Why don't you curse God and die? Do you still hold fast to your integrity? But we can hold fast to our integrity. We do not curse God and die. And that is easier to do when we recognize the purpose that God has in mind for our affliction. That He's sanctifying us on the way to glory and He's allowing us to share in the sufferings of Christ so that the Father of comfort can pour His comfort out on us and then we can pass that along to others. And if we keep these purposes of our affliction in mind, while there's no promises that it will be easy to endure, we'll be able to keep God's praises on our lips as opposed to curses. So final point for this morning, number three, we worship the Father of mercies and God of comfort knowing our suffering is purposeful. Blessed be, verse three starts, blessed be. It's the Jewish way of saying praise be too. It means that God's praiseworthy. God is praiseworthy. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is praiseworthy. And that's certainly something that we believe, but it can't just be something that we believe when things are going well. Paul's being thoroughly harassed by his enemies in Corinth, but he knows that in his harassment, he's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. If he shares in his suffering, he shares in his comfort. Comfort he can pass along to others. He sees the purpose in what God is doing, painful as it may be. Therefore, though this is a letter where Paul's kind of bleeding all over the page and saying, I'm hurting, and so I'm going through as a pastor, he's still praising God right off the top because he sees God's purpose in it. People who understand God's purposes in suffering do this. They keep praising the Lord and finding joy in Him even though they're hurting. R.C. Sproul said, Those who understand God's sovereignty have joy even in the midst of suffering, a joy reflected on their very faces, for they see that their suffering is not without purpose. And that brings us back to where we began, that we don't just praise God because He's not wasting our suffering. We praise Him because who He is in our suffering. He is the Father of mercies, a bushel of new ones every day for you, sufficient for the troubles that He knows lie ahead. He is the God of all comfort, pouring it out on you, that you would pour it out on others. And so we give Him praise for His character. We give Him praise for His heart, for being a good Father who gives good gifts to His hurting children. God was good to me this week. 2023 has been, like I said, pretty hefty for our church. On one hand, we're rejoicing, man. We're out of debt. Praise God. Lots of exciting conversations and dreams. 
On the other hand, we've got a lot of people who are hurting. And as a pastor, I hope you know me after these 11 and a half years well enough to, for me to be able to say, when you hurt, I hurt with you. I truly love all of you. And sometimes when you're in pastoral ministry, you can feel a little bit alone. You can feel like nobody understands, and Satan loves for you to feel that way. I was feeling a little bit that way this past Friday morning, and I was sitting in my garage going through Be Thou My Vision, my daily liturgy book that kind of got me started on daily liturgy. I've got a few that I rotate. And so I was sitting there, and I'm, I'm actually literally reading the Athanasian Creed, which is a Trinitarian creed. And our bookkeeper, Linda Revia, pulls up, and I'm like, what's this about? Because my garage door was open because it was so beautiful. And she said, this letter was for you in the wrong mailbox or whatever. He gives it to me. And I open it, and it was from a young man that I had uh, mentored and discipled who was now pastoring in ministry somewhere else. And he wrote me a letter as I was feeling a little alone. He had no idea that I was, but he wrote me this letter, and he said to me in it, he's a good writer, listen to this. The nature of pastoral ministry is such that so much of our labor is invisible to the naked eye. So the regular affirmation and encouragement someone might get from seeing their job well done we have to receive by faith that we'll hear those words one day. But that day is coming when we see the hidden growth beneath the surface, when the hidden things are brought to the light and every fear and anxiety that comes along with this calling will vanish, when we will finally see with our eyes that the monster in the corner that caused so much grief was really a coat rack shadow the whole time. And I wept over this thing. And I tried to go back to my creed and I'm like, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but there are not three gods, there is one God. <laughs> you know, I'm just like completely destroyed because I'm preaching on this, this Trinitarian passage, this Trinitarian sermon series, and here it is the Friday before the Sunday where you do the sermon on a day where you feel alone, you have this guy who you've discipled decide on his own with no prompting. Him and I haven't talked about anything in 2023. I haven't talked to him in 2023. Writes me a letter saying the very thing that I needed to know so that I could be comforted and then I could go to Upward the next day and stand before a neighborhood that's hurting, losing a wonderful teacher over here at Seaford Elementary and stand up and share the gospel and share that comfort with them. Do you see how good he is? Oh my goodness. I just was blown away. And every now and then, Jesus just comes and says, I know you have faith in me, but let me show you again just how real I am. Just in case you would doubt it. Just in case the world would fool you into it. Let me just show off in flex, and then you give me the glory. Give him the glory. He's the God of all comfort. He's the Father of all mercies. If you need him, and you don't know him, his son Jesus is the only way to get to him. He has given the gift of his son Jesus to save your soul. Connect at SeafordBaptist.com. Send us an email. Shoot us a text. You just need to talk to somebody. You need comfort. There's people who want to give it to you because God has given it to them. Send us a text. Send us an email. Do not try to deal with your pain alone. He's given you himself and he's given you the church. Do it with him and do it with people. You'll be conformed to the image of Christ, and he'll make you into a comforter. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come. I didn't ask them to come before I pray, so they're going to come up here, and it's going to be kind of awkward transition, and we'll all deal with it. It'll be fine. Let's pray. Father God, 
you are the only truly good one. And you, even though we have transgressed your goodness, we've trampled it. You have responded to our sin, to our making an enemy of you by giving us the greatest gift that we could ever be given in your son, Jesus Christ. You gave us yourself. You've saved us from sin. You've given us eternal comfort. You give us daily comfort. And then in your infinite wisdom, you've chosen to use us to be comforters. In this, Lord, in the local church, to see you working in this way, pouring out comfort, and then using people to pour out comfort. This morning, I'm just overwhelmed, God, by the praise that you deserve. Truly with Paul, we, we, we say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I, I just pray that in just a moment when we sing songs to you, that we would not just, oh, it's a song we sing, and then we go off to lunch and get to the Super Bowl and blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Lord, you're so good. I just pray that right now we'd sing this song to you in the next three or four minutes like it's the only thing that we have to do and then eternity is going to come.